0: sales some of us are naturals at it some of us have worked hard to be good at it some of us struggle with it and some of us just simply hate that part of sponsorship however if you aren't involved in upfront sales then your delivery and management elements of sponsorship will most likely flow into renewal discussions and so sales elements come into play then There are many, many traps to fall into in the sales process, and no doubt, I know I've fallen into many of them myself multiple times over the years. And there aren't too many people who consider themselves sales experts, so... We've all got areas we could be better at, or even just get value from some fresh non sponsorship industry views. Now, one person who is an expert is Trent Lation, founder of Boom Sales. And so that's why I invited Trent on the show to ask lots of questions about sales uh, so that you can avoid falling into some of those common traps. Welcome to episode 36 of Inside Sponsorship. It's great to have you listening in again. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston. And before we hear from Trent, I wanted to give a shout out to daniel ferguson hill and daniel who is the national sales manager at fitness australia got in contact and wrote i'm a new listener to the podcast and i love your work my goal is to end up back in the commercial side of sports. so the content is great i look forward to hearing more so thanks heaps for reaching out and for the kind words daniel very much appreciated and i hope you're doing well Also on this episode, our MD, Mark Thompson, joins us to discuss his latest blog, which looks at the key to sponsorship relationships, and it isn't what you probably think it is, unless that is, of course, you've already read the blog. Here's Mark.
1: Mark Thompson, welcome back. You've been on a trip? I have. I feel like we've spoken about this trip for about five episodes straight. It's
0: finally happened. Everyone's really excited. They're all tweeting about (laughs) it. I'm getting emails. I'm back for it. My phone's going off at three o'clock in the morning.
1: That was me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm back.
0: And where'd you go? You went through... New York. Yes, good trip there. It's only for a little bit, it was wasn't it? It was fleeting,
1: three days on the ground there, and, and the one day I did have to have a bit of a look around. It rained all day, so I uh, ended up just having a quick walk up Fifth Avenue and then sitting in a bar and catching up with some friends of the show, actually. Best meal, and that was... Who did you catch up with? I caught up with New York City Roadrunners. Yes. Um, and uh, uh, another data company, actually, from Canberra. Very good. Happened to be in. I only see the Canberra people when I'm not in
0: Canberra. <laughs> Best meal in America?
1: Uh, Best food you ate? I ate, I had a really nice um, avocado and... <laughs> Calm down. And, and grilled, we got avocado grilled, here. Grilled fish salad. Ugh. Um <laughs> At a, at a, I want to. I'm looking for
0: like the triple cheeseburger with at extra a, fries. Uh, I'm getting there. Okay. At, at a, uh, oh, that was just the entree. Okay.
1: At a, um, a place called Avios, hmm. which is on um, Lexington Boulevard, and then went to watch uh, some of the baseball, and then you can't go past the spicy wings. <laughs> Heartburn. I think I had about four plates of them with in one sitting with, with these guys. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah.
0: Get get dirty hands.
1: A beer per wing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably 30 30 wings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Now, your blog this week is all about what the key to delivery is all about.
1: Yeah. Well, the key to sponsorship relationships is delivery, but not benefit delivery.
0: No, you just deliver everything you need to. You tick it off. You speak to the sponsor at the end of the season happy. or period and it's all good. Yeah, yeah? And
1: they're happy. there. Yeah, that's it. That's
0: all right. Well, thanks for joining us.
1: It's <laughs> that easy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Now, I, do you know what drove me towards this though? I, um, no, but I've got a feeling I'm about to find yeah, out. You are, yeah, you are. That's why otherwise we wouldn't be talking. <laughs> We'd be listening to you then again
0: for a whole episode. (laughs) All right. Um, So, what drove you to it?
1: So, I've just two two really non non um, related conversations I've either had or heard over the last month. Mm -hmm. Um, One was in a sponsorship context, but one was totally unrelated to sponsorship. It was more customer service. But obviously, as I do, everything in life always comes back to sponsorship in my head. So, I was able to reframe that and put it into context for and repurpose it for a blog. But um, you know, I, I, both of those interactions made me realise that that how you deliver, not not benefit delivery, but how you deliver your organisation, how you deliver your services, how you deliver yourself as the representative of your organisation um, really have a huge impact on your ongoing relationship with your customers, your sponsors in, in our case um, through this business.
0: Most people, if you said to them, is that important, all that sort of stuff, they would say yes, they get that, they understand it. Yeah. But how do we specifically actually make it happen? What things do we need to keep in mind?
1: Look, I think um, there's a few sort of core elements, three core elements that will set you off on the right foot. Um, and And what I've tried to do with the blog this week is is actually use my stories that I am drawing on to to as examples of how they fit into these sort of core elements as and why they're important so So, we
0: can hear the stories now and then tell us what's
1: important or are they going to be we'll we'll just drop them in as we can okay good all right so so what's the the first one well the the first co-element is honesty i mean obvious obviously but um the first story that i have is an interaction i had with an industry colleague and they approached me just for some advice um around what they perceive to be a delicate situation with one of their sponsors so um a third party of theirs had re- produced a document and it inadvertently um you know accidentally used an incorrect image which would have portrayed the sponsor you know or or um, represent misrepresented the relationship that that organization had had with that sponsor yep um and it was sort of hidden in the midst of this um, publication. Very small circulation to a very select group of people, and who spotted the mistake the club um, the rights holder the rights holder yep. spotted the mistake um, themselves and because they didn't they actually didn't distribute this yep. this this piece it was one of their you know the you know the situation we're talking about a, a, a really rusted on long term member <laughs> has decided. Through his passion of this organisation to produce something, and then has gone and circulated it to his closest circle. Citizen journalism. Yeah, that's right. Which is, for, you know, it's great. It's passion. Um, the the rights holder noticed this error and 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 thought, oh, oh wow, this could be, this could be big. Um, you know, we're we're not happy with this. They couldn't do anything about it. It was already produced and circulated. And so they came to me saying, how, how should we deal with this? It's only in this section, whatever, um, we're thinking we just will ignore it and... Stick your head in the scene? And hide it, yeah.
0: That works. <laughs> Until the other person finds out. Yeah,
1: and and my advice to them was, look, this is, yes, it's it's, it's actually not a big issue. They, they were making it out to be quite a big issue. In my mind, it was very minute issue. But it gives them an opportunity to be, um, to, to have a little bit of respect you know responsibility and and sort of show themselves as being um a, a really in, integral sort of organization
0: and caring yeah. they actually care about the mistake
1: yeah exactly yep. right so i said to them be open and honest but get on the front foot tell your sponsor what's happened why it happened how it happened and what your reaction to it is what you've tried to do and what the outcome is just tell them and uh they were like, "Oh, really? It's they, they, they might blow up."
0: Well, they're difficult conversations, and people don't necessarily, you know, people don't necessarily shy away from them, but they are yeah. tough because you never really know how the other person's going to react.
1: Exactly right. The worst thing that could happen though is is not say something. The sponsor finds it, doesn't say anything to you, and then at renewal time they go, "Yeah, we, we're going to pay. We're not going to pay the increase, or we're going to pay less, and, mm. and these are the reasons." And or that. did you know about it? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but this person said you did. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and you know what, people, all people make mistakes. Even Daniel Oyston makes mistakes. Calm down. Ninety-nine percent of the time, there is no intention to those mistakes, <laughs> and uh, and they never are, are, are done to cause harm on purpose. So sponsors understand that they're also people. They also make mistakes. So if you if you're honest and you communicate that, be tr- totally transparent. You know, they they're actually going to respect you more for that, Um, it'll it'll uh, play to the relationship because of the honesty. There's a touch of a selfish angle
0: there because you'll probably feel better about yourself and the whole situation if you're completely honest. You're not carrying that around on your shoulders.
1: Especially if it's resolved, yeah. Mm. Exactly right. And do you know what happened? No. The sponsor was fine with it. They didn't care. Didn't care. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Good. (laughs) But the, the, the level of the relationship has probably been increased a few percentage points.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very good. All right, so always be honest. Thanks, Mum. No worries. Next. Integrity. I mean, integrity comes in many forms within sponsorship, but the the best way in my mind to to, um, display it is to always do what you say you're going to do. Yep. So that is, you know, um, delivery of all contractor benefits, communication and, um, you know, particularly in any undertakings that you make to your partner, that you actually fulfill those. Uh, the, 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 the second real example I have, the second nice story I have comes back to this integrity. And, and I think it's, it's a customer service type one, but it's a really good example of how not to treat your existing sponsors. Oh, here we go. Sounds juicy. <laughs> so a colleague of ours, um, had purchased a new car. Lucky. Recently. Yeah, I drove it the other day. It's nice. Did you? Yeah. Is that why it's in the shop now? (laughs) He's not here. He hasn't seen it yet. No, the brakes no longer work. clutch is burned out. Um, Um, It's always the alternator. (laughs) um, The entire... yeah, I think he would get his the wool pulled over his eyes, actually, wouldn't he? <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> Hello, if you're listening, and we know you will. All right. So, um, integrity. So, the entire process of purchasing this car was a great ex- experience for him. The, the sales staff made him feel special. They worked with him to get all, all the sort of fittings and trims, colors that he wanted. They worked hard to get the delivery underway. Um, they worked with him around pricing and finance and everything he needed to get the deal done. They did. And they bent over backwards for the deal. He was really happy with it, even when they missed delivery. So the delivery date they said it would come was delayed. He
0: never comes on that date.
1: Well, the, you know, the ship was the delayed or oh, something, yeah. but they communicated that with him. He was okay with that. He was yep. disappointed, obviously, but he's like, no, they, they got as soon as they found out, they told me, they set and reset my expectations. He was cool with that. So he, he understood that and, and was fine. Um, at the end of the day, it ended up being a bad experience for him. Oh, and and it was literally because at you drove his car. <laughs> <laughs> I went to pick it up for him, crashed, and blamed it on them. No, um, the delivery of the vehicle to him hmm. was so. When he went to pick it up, went to pick it up. They called him and said, "We need to set an appointment for you at four o'clock, and we'll." You can come and pick your car up. We'll run it through you, with you. We'll teach you how to, all the gadgets work. and Easy. Sign the paperwork and you'll be off and, yep. and running. And he and he said, yeah, that's fine. How long will it take? Um, I've got to pick my kids up at five. You know, if it's going to take more than an hour, can we do Gotta it? Can to put then? the car seats in. Can we do it? Yeah. Can we do it the next morning or yep. earlier? Yep. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, 20 minutes max. Come at four o'clock. Here we go. He's like, cool. Righto. So he got there at four. Yep. They made him sit in the waiting room for 45 minutes. Why didn't he just go? Um, he's not you. And uh, <laughs> and the reason they gave him for not seeing him was that they had a potential new customer that the that the salesperson that needed to hand his car over to him was was there, hot to buy a car. So they were dealing with that new sale instead of the existing one that uh, had already been made. Wow. So they're no longer trying to close with our colleague. Yep. Um, So they... Well, we won't edit that out. I mean, we will edit that out. Um, So, you know, he basically was not viewed as important as somebody that they were trying to close. And so after after everything that had happened, they no longer needed anything from him, so he was no longer important to them. Mm. And so what's worse, when they finally did get everything together to see him, they had added an extra $500 to the price over what, what is, was agreed. Oh. So. <laughs> Ouch. Um, and on his trading, off, like they basically tried to screw him 500 bucks on the trading. Mm. Um, so they made the appointment with the colleague. They had the opportunity to deliver what they promised, when they promised, how they promised, but they didn't. They showed zero respect uh, for that him. That
0: didn't, didn't sound as though
1: they even cared. No, they showed zero respect for him. Um they they didn't respect what they agreed and committed to do, and through that lack of integrity, they've they ruined an otherwise really positive experience for him. Hmm. And so, I asked him afterwards. I said, "Would you buy another car from them?" That's rhetorical. Well, he said I'd buy another car made by that company, but I would not buy one from that dealership. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's interesting because without. Falling into too much marketing theory, everybody knows there's lots of things that can influence leading up to a sale and you can move people through different stages. A lot of people forget that once you've got the customer, they're making an evaluation after they make the purchase, which is kind of at this point. Yeah. Of whether it was a good decision. And he's now walking around going, I've evaluated that. It wasn't a good decision to buy a car from them. The car's great, but not from them.
1: Exactly right. And so they've lost sight of the long game there. So getting referrals, getting repeat business, um, renewing sort of the relationship upselling buying additional things from them buying perhaps their small second family car from mm. them gone now just because of
0: well if of they that. have a third or a fourth child they're going to need a tarago <laughs> or it, something and like who's that.
1: to say that um that person that was there wasn't just browsing mm. they actually buying end up buying a car so mm. they've potentially killed two deals yeah, yeah so right. you know the extra salt um was that he felt undervalued being left to sit in the rating room um, because someone else is more important, and then you know that 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 actually is the perfect segue into the third, which is value. Oh, I thought I was doing the segues, but well done. <laughs> so, value is again portrayed in a few different ways. So, the, the first is the deliverer of return on investment and, tr- and return on objectives that's yep. delivering value. Yep, um, but the other two are probably more important, those things will happen. If you deliver the contracted benefits and you get the reach that you need to get and you're but measuring them properly.
0: They're essentially just paper value, right? Process-driven stuff, yeah. right?
1: That's stuff that if your processes and systems are right, you'll be able to deliver those. But the other th- things are th- things, are actual actions you need to take. And so they are making your sponsor feel valued. So this is all about making a sponsor feel like they're the most important p- people to your organization. So think of… You're at an event, you're at a, at a match day or a presentation night or a season launch or something like that, and you get the opportunity to see your sponsors. I, I see this a lot where where sponsorship managers will also always go and say hi to sponsors, but they'll only ever spend time talking to their big ones. Hmm. You need to make a skill out of...
0: That's really obvious sp- that that's shallow, right? Correct, yeah. but you,
1: but you need it's a skill. So you need to work on that skill to be able to to give time to your partners and make them feel like... They are important to you, mm. and you know it's always greeting them, always farewelling them, always thanking them, always introducing them to others. Part of the skill is going to them, interacting with them, saying hello, introducing them to someone else, and exiting that conversation. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. like a ninja. Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> where's Mark? Who? <laughs> but you know they remember you've said hello. You're friendly. You introduced. You talked, and then and you added value. Exactly right through the introduction. Exactly right. Very good. And then. The other sort of big piece of value adding is actually being a valuable contributor to the, your partner's use of assets, their plans, their delivery, show your partners you care about their success, Yep. Um, show your partners that you, you value them over and above the transactional elements of the, of the partnership. So this is like successfully delivering campaigns. You'll, you'll often see, and nowadays I see this actually more and more recently, is that this sort of campaign management is a deliverable benefit but but there's it's hard to put specifics around those campaigns Mm. spend time with your partners to work out activation and execution what will work with your audience
0: that you know really well because you're the sponsorship manager
1: exactly right Mm. and but but it's you reaching out you trying to add value to them caring about them and 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 showing integrity showing honesty showing trust all those things are going to sort of add to your relationship and deliver you in a positive light very good any final thoughts Um, i mean value and alignment with objectives are what may attract a sponsor to you but but what's going to keep them with you is is your delivery and as again it is delivery of things that they want delivery of return on investment return on objectives but the most important thing as a sponsorship manager is the delivery of your organisation. So you are the organisation, you are the face of the organisation, you're the delivery platform between all of things sponsorship for your side to all things sponsorship for their side. So you need to deliver yourself properly.
0: Mm. It's probably a fair point to, to say that you're not going to get everything right. You will make mistakes and, you know, it's just human error, right? But through good delivery over a reasonable amount of time, we'll be met with much more leniency, if something does go wrong and you start with that first point, which is honesty.
1: Correct. Yeah. 100%. All
0: right. So if you want to uh, read through all that, just uh, head to the website where Mark's put it all down uh, in a blog, sponsor.net. Uh, just head to the
1: resources section and then the blogs. Another trip? Mate, next Thursday I'm off to the UK again. We've got some big opportunities off-season for the Premier League over there right now. So
0: so you won't be going to any games?
1: Um, no, I'm going to try, try and get some Champions Trophy cricket. Um, Probably washed out. <laughs> yeah, Australia's
0: first two games have been washed out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I saw England uh, had a good win overnight. Did they? Yeah, they smashed uh, s- smashed whoever they played, mm. eighty six runs or something. But um, yeah, might get there. Um, obviously, going to um, see a few of the EPL teams. They're in decision stage right now, mid in the off season. So. Quite a big, big time for our uh, organisation. We've got a few big pitches lined up, and if uh, but we do have some gaps in the calendar. So there, between the sixteenth and 29th of June. So if you don't mind a cold beer
0: on a hot day, get in contact.
1: Exactly right.
0: Very good. All right. Safe travels. Thanks, mate. Trent Lation founded Boom Sales in two thousand and seven, and as MD, lead consultant, and facilitator, he combines his unique experiences in business. Rigorous research and new insights with fresh delivery methods that inspire action and, most importantly, lasting change. And when I read that blurb on his profile on the Boom Sales website, I thought to myself, that sounds like a guy our listeners would love to hear from. Early in his career, he was the National Sales Manager and Head Spooker at Big Kev's. And under the guidance of his mentor, Kevin McQuay, aka Big Kev, Australia's most flamboyant TV sales personality, he learned and developed his sales and public speaking skills. And Trent has since led sales teams in award-winning advertising and digital agencies and driven two of his own companies from lounge room operations into industry leaders. And today, he partners with some of the world's most successful organisations. And so clients include NAB, Energy Australia, Woolworths, AGL, Crown Resorts, Western Bulldogs and Lexus just to name a few and he's also the author of Outlaw and The Naked Salesman and he is a sought-after speaker and regular contributor to various media here's Trent Trent Lation welcome to the show Daniel you
2: are important great to be here great to be
0: here it's usually only my mum that tells me that
2: Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, she's lovely lady. Isn't she? yeah, that's why we love her. That is, that is actually why we love our mums.
0: That's right. And hi to all the mums that are listening at the moment. Trent, we... Yeah, so we hello to my mum. <laughs> we always kick off with a few easy icebreaker questions just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better. And I normally ask uh, what the one item you would take out of your house uh, if it was on fire would be, but instead mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you... Which sales-related movie has the best speech scene? Is it Boiler Room, Glengarry mm-hmm. Glen Ross, or The Wolf of Ooh. Wall Street? Ooh.
2: Oh, very good, very good movies. Uh, I would have to say the uh, coffee is for closest scene in Glengarry Glen Ross <laughs> is the all-time greatest scene. And the reason, because it's just a, a great example of what not to do as, as a sales manager, uh, but we actually use that as a – we actually have a take on that at Boom and we use the ABCs, but it's always be contributing. Ah, very good. Um, so, yeah, brilliant movie, brilliant movie. Hey, and I did have an answer for you for yeah. what I would take.
0: Okay. what would have, Is it your uh, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross DVD? Uh,
2: no, I, I don't have a copy of that, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but I would uh, – I, I love my kids, of course. I've yes. got three kids. I love my wife. Yes, uh, but the one thing I would absolutely take first is my beloved uh, poodle, Monroe Brown. Very good. Okay, so I we'll would take the, take the dog first, okay. then the kids, then oh. the wife probably.
0: <laughs> Second icebreaker question is, what was your first ever job? Uh,
2: well, first ever job was working for my dad as a roof tiler.
0: Oh, that sounds and tough. And I
2: would do that on uh, school holidays up in Queensland in 45-degree heat. Uh, running around on the roof. And it was absolutely horrendous. Uh, taught me at a very young age. It was a job I never wanted to do. Yeah. Um, first paid job was selling high-end car audio equipment
0: yeah. back in the day. Very interesting. That's a long way back now. So moving on from there, to set the context a, a, a little bit, what what has been your experience in your career progression up to your current role now? Uh,
2: well, probably the, the real change came when I was introduced. I, was sell- I actually moved from the Gold Coast to Sydney. Um, I was working for a fitness equipment chain um, and I didn't really enjoy it. Um, So I left that and I uh, was sort of unemployable in Sydney, no career prospects. It would have been about 20. So I did what uh, most people do when you don't have any career prospects and you go into sales. And and I did so commission only and I worked for an insurance company um, selling insurance door to door, which was, uh, again, really tough. uh, Commission only, no sell, no eat. Teaches it to be hungry, of course. Yeah, uh, I did that for a while, and I was very good at it for that reason, no sell, no eat. Um, but uh, I was introduced to a, uh, through a mutual friend who said, come and work for me. Um, and we said, basically, what the hell are you doing selling insurance? Come work for me. And I said, all right, I'll give it a go. Again, it was commission only, but this time it was working for a guy that you may know called Big Kev. Yes. And Big Kev took me under his wing, and I spent many years with Kev, and he became my first ever mentor and, uh, and, and boss. Uh, And I was the head spruiker at the trade shows on stage, vlogging cleaning products. So that was my apprenticeship. Very good. Into sales, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, Trent, the questions I've compiled are are, are a mix of some that I thought of myself, having worked in various sort of sales roles uh, a lot myself over the years and having been challenged on some fronts, if not all fronts. And, uh, look, some questions uh, came to mind when I was reading your blogs, but most importantly, we received a load from our audience, our listeners, and I was going to try and dress the questions up so they kind of sounded like uh, this one's from uh, a Premier League club or this one's from a small cricket club, etc. But I don't think that would add much value, the narrative. Plus, some people send in yep. a lot of very similar questions to each other. So to the listeners, however, a big thanks to those who got in contact and helped Shape these questions and I'm very much looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty around what what appeared to be some fairly common themes with people. So the first one is researching potential partners, so people that might sponsor us, prior to reaching out to them is a key step in sponsorship sales. But when you don't just have leads coming in on the phone or through a website, what are some of the things you can do to research a prospect or a company over and above what you would you would normally expect somebody to do, and I'm guessing you'll look at websites and news articles, LinkedIn profiles. But I guess what I'm asking is, what sort of little nuggets or, or hooks will really set you apart, and, and that you should be looking for?
2: Okay, so obviously LinkedIn's a great a great tool that we use for researching and for marketing. A lot of it's a bit misunderstood. People don't know how to get the best out of it in terms of marketing. I personally use it for research. That's one tool. But I think probably the the nuggets you're looking for are are probably doing what uh, most, which quote unquote, the average salesperson is doing and looking at um, what they're not doing. And what they're not generally doing is learning more about the customer and understanding what they really want, understanding what really drives them and having more of an intimate understanding about their business. I think that's probably what sets um, really experienced salespeople apart is their knowledge and their know-how, and they can share that knowledge with with their new clients or their new prospects. So, um, you know, there's a lot of selling at the coalface that goes on, and and um, people are always looking to generate more opportunities. But um, the question is, do they really care about their customers? Or do they know them well?
0: Is it fair to say that when you then, if you've done your research and 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 you demonstrate, you know, not too overtly that you've done your research and you know them well, that you know, that that goes down really well with the prospect.
2: Uh, it certainly helps. But, again, uh, the, uh, salespeople get seduced because we're always chasing numbers and we're always in sale mode. So we meet someone, we ask a few rapport-building questions, and we go straight into our offer, always pro- promoting. So the, um, that Glengarry Glenn Ross scene always be closing is, is what most salespeople do. They're always trying to close. So the ABCs always be contributing. is about contributing first, getting to know your customers, getting to know them personally first, getting to know their business and then being able to tailor a solution specifically to them as opposed to just trying to go and and sell them something.
0: Yeah, very good. And I think that there'll be a lot of listeners nodding their head because I think that dovetails nicely into some of the things that we talk to around aligning things that we can offer potential sponsors, aligning those with the objectives that those uh, potential sponsors are, are trying to achieve. Trent, a, a common That's frustration it. or difficulty is getting in touch with the right person to actually start that relationship or rapport building. Yeah. There's nothing more frustrating than than doing all the research uh, prior to reaching out to somebody, understanding what we can offer has the potential to actually really help them achieve their various object- objectives, yet to just then be um, prevented from actually speaking on the phone in the first instance. Now, it's naive to think that we're going to get to speak to everybody uh, the first time we call through or even everybody full stop. But what are some of the things that we can do to increase our chances?
2: In terms of cutting through on a first call? Yes. Well, we have a technique called the red phone, and there's essentially three types of phone calls. And the phone's a really um, cool tool. It was, uh, I guess... um, it went out of vogue with the advent of the internet. One uh, the previous business that I owned, we really drove the the wave of the first um, digital revolution, which was search engine marketing and web marketing back in two thousand. Um, and the email really took over, and technology started to take over. Now, most for most people, um, email is considered spam. Mm. But the phone has had a renaissance. Renaissance, in, in fact, it's it's. Um, it's a misunderstood tool, um, but there's some real basic laws that a lot of people don't understand about using the phone. So at Boom, we have um, a program called the – I'm not promoting here, of course, uh, Daniel. No, that's, have fine, a, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. A framework called the Red Phone. There's three types of um, phone calls. There's, there's a red, uh, white, and black. And most communications, white, it's polite, but it's ineffective. The black phone is misleading and deceptive. Uh, and, of course, the red phone is urgent and action-based. So it's being able to understand how to create urgency and how to create that cut-through um, and how to come from a place uh, of credibility when, when you're making a call. It's a real art and it is a science and it does take structure. Um, but I think the easy thing is to just get uh, get a database, pick up the phone and start calling. If you're doing that, you're either on the white phone, which means that you're it's white, it's polite, ineffective, you probably hear no thanks, not interested, or it's black because you're just selling and you're just trying to promote, and maybe you don't know their business, you don't really care, you're just looking to get your foot in the door and start selling something.
0: There's no doubt that a a warm introduction as opposed to um, cold calling, so a warm introduction from a mutual contact is a a great way to get in front of a prospect and start that conversation. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion on the best way to ask Somebody for an introduction, and should you be coaching them on what you'd like them to say in the intro, or simply leave them to it?
2: Look, I think most importantly, when you're getting an introduction, again, we have another tool called the arc of influence. There's only ever four players in any buying process, so one is the deadly time waster, which we'll talk more about. There is a golden, (laughs) a golden time waster that is the most deadly. Uh, There's an enabler, which is the connector, which is who you're talking about there, the referrer. There's the critical influencer, and there's the decision maker. So those four players form what we call the arc of influence. And if you're not connecting through the right player, you become a time waster. And if you're not investing in the right player, you also become a, a time waster. So ideally, you want to be getting referrals from people that are credible. And people that are actually introducing you in the in the right way. Um, if you're not, you're going in cold. And of course, it's the same as a cold call.
0: As opposed to just saying, "Hey, Trent, you know Bob who works at ABC Company? Can you introduce me?" If you're well, not yeah, the right person,
2: I, you need to talk to Daniel. Uh, I know Daniel. Uh, he works for this sponsorship company. Great uh, guy. He's pretty good, from what I hear. He's a good guy. Yep. I've just uh, I've just flicked him your details. He's going to give you a call. Absolute waste of time. Bapow. Uh, the best way to get through there is uh, you have to speak to to Daniel. He is an absolute genius. Every client that I've sent him raves about him and thanks me for it. I'm going to get on the phone now and give you give him a quick call and let him know that you're calling and you're actually uh, going in red, which is urgent, yes. credible, and action based.
0: Mm, very good. So, sometimes when you make contact with a prospect and uh, you know you're qualifying them in the early stages and and especially in today's digital world. They'll simply, and this actually happened to me on the email or or to our team on the email overnight, there was actually an inbound inquiry, but sometimes you make the the connection or they uh, inquire to you, they'll simply just ask and say something along the lines of, this all sounds really interesting. But how much does it cost? Now, for, 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 <laughs> for, for the salesperson, this can feel really unfair because, you know, we haven't had the chance to, to demonstrate the value of the product or service and, and price is nearly always or is a good indicator quite often of a reflection of the value you're going to receive. How do you yeah. handle that situation when, the, when, when the, mm-hmm. the prospect just brings that price discussion forward straight away? Oh,
2: look, this is a, this is a typical, typical uh, – look, this is a symptom what I call a symptom um, of a lack of process um, and not being able to, uh, obviously, working through the arc in the right way and, and investing in the right person. Um, look, it could be from the customer's perspective that you could have activated fear, and it's highly likely if you've just called them randomly. Um, I guess if you're calling um, strangers, in most cases, not only are you annoying them, you're disrespecting their right to privacy, and there's a lot of question marks that get get raised. Mm. So, I guess in the new world, we need to have a process, and we have we'd have structure. And look, if you are having the right conversation with the right customer, then this is the time that you would use a masterful, uh, what we call a masterful question. I okay, guess so. Uh, if uh, is that your best price? Is a, is a typical question? Yes. Um, so a masterful response would be: Are we negotiating? Yeah, so you're using questions, as opposed to justifying yourself and, and going, getting into the trap of having a price driven conversation when there's no value, there's no perceived value or tangible value created. That's the problem with outbound marketing. Uh, is it forces you to rush, um, and when you're rushing, you're generally not your best, and you're uh, obviously nah, the customers controlling the conversation, not not you. So, in a perfect world, you're you're in control, but you're really guiding the the, the conversation. Um, and asking questions and drilling deeper into the what you know about the customer, which is usually linked to the drivers, and the drivers are generally what's most important to the customer. Um, so there, there's a real art, and we, need, we talk more about process and more about structure, and when you have those things, you're in more control of the mm. conversation.
0: Mm. And, and I'm guessing that takes, uh, you know, you've got to prep what your your process and your structure is going to be, not just make it up on the fly.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Dare to, dare to prepare is what we say. It's the first uh, chapter of my book, Outlaw. Dare to prepare. You know, chance favors the prepared mind. You've got to be prepared. You've got to know your customer, uh, and of course, you've got to be credible. Like you've got to be really good at what what you do. Then, and you've got to be passionate about it as well. If you're deeply passionate about what you do, uh, then you're probably going to spend the time preparing.
0: Mm. Now, you you just spoke before about uh, questions. Good salespeople will always ask insightful questions and and let the prospect speak, you know, within the um, acceptable limits, you know, the prospect to speak as much as possible. Everyone is going to be different in what they can ask, but what sorts of questions or areas should they focus on when when they want to ask a prospect questions and and get them talking?
2: We can – one of our um, methods is to be interested Uh, The best way to be interesting, which is half the battle, is is do you have something interesting and compelling enough for people to want to talk to you, take you seriously, invest time in you, be led by you and ultimately invest in you? Um, Are you interesting enough? Um, And the best way to be interesting uh, is to be interested, and that's simply asking questions, uh, activating what we call your silent sales weapon, which is your ears, uh, listening for the silent undercurrent. Um, understanding the uh, implications between body language and tone and knowing where to dig in the conversation and much like a medical specialist looking for triggers and then digging towards the appropriate drivers Um, so more questions less talking but uh, not random questions or preconceived questions or questions for the sake of questions specific questions that drill deeper to the root cause of whatever it is the conversation is about, the point of the conversation. Mm. Um, so where the triggers are things that you hear that relate to uh, a driver, and the driver is typically related to what's most important to the customer. And when you understand triggers, uh, you will understand drivers. And it's amazing the amount of um, triggers that are thrown up by the customer in a conversation. The salesperson isn't listening for them, doesn't understand the concept of drivers, mm. so they just gloss over them. Um, and this could be even sim- even not necessarily value drivers, but little things like, how's your weekend? Oh, absolutely fantastic. Oh, right. Well, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. So that <laughs> salesperson's not listening. They're so focused on the sell, hmm. they're not slowing it down. And it's even these with elite athletes, and you, you guys will relate to this because elite athletes, you know, you like to. Is that um,
0: because I'm an elite athlete?
2: You must have been. You must have been. <laughs> um, I've seen your profile picture. <laughs> uh, they seem to be in another time dimension because they're making decisions quicker. You know, you're Gary Ablett Jr.'s and you're uh, Michael Jordans these mm. times. So they're in another time zone. And it's because they've got this awareness and this poise, and that's what more masterful salespeople have that. And they usually um, they get into that uh, space through questions, um, going at two questions deeper, which is another technique. So when you hear a trigger, you go two questions deeper. And also digging at the right time and asking better questions than your competitors. Mm. And what, that's what we call masterful, masterful questions. So they're questions that unlock. You understand masterful questions, there's less selling needed.
0: Okay? Well, they almost sell that's it the to themselves, mastery. don't they?
2: Absolutely, they will sell it to themselves. You know what to say, when to say it, and you use the right questions in the right way. Um, yeah, they're enormously powerful. And it's probably one of the key things that we help, salespeople with the most is understanding the concept of drivers, which is understanding your customer, investing and understanding more about your customer, what's really driving them and creating a profile and then identifying the triggers that relate to those drivers and equipping salespeople with that as in their toolkit, Um, enormously valuable.
0: Yeah, when you were talking about before asking people how their weekend is and they answer it and then the, the salesperson just dives into what they want to say, it is... You know, you do see it sometimes, don't you? Particularly, I, I had a demo recently for some software and it was almost like the person at the other end wasn't even listening to what I was saying, Was to, well, just wanted to follow their script and jump into features that I didn't really care about. And, you know, I'm pretty tech yeah. savvy and this person was showing yes. me how I could drag a picture into a screen. I'm like, mate, I'll figure that out later. And, but he had to gotcha. stick to his script and he was just waiting for me to finish talking before he could continue with his script.
2: Yeah, very true, isn't it? So that's mm. the, that's like that's the sign of an inexperienced salesperson. They're relying on the script to navigate their way through a conversation, mm. and of course, uh, that person will be doing themselves out of the job uh, because it, uh, we've got things like automation for that and the robot, the robot, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, you know, if you just need to pull information down, we've got robots, and they work. They're bloody hard workers too. These robots, they don't stop.
0: And you don't have to pay uh, much
2: don't have to pay much, uh, ferocious work ethic um, <laughs> 24-7. So, yeah, listening is a soft skill that's hard to master, uh, which, and we talk about soft skills. We also talk about uh, adaptive communication, Daniel, mm-hmm. which is the ability to use the, your communic- the four styles to understand how to tailor your information specifically to the customer. That's another part of your preparation as well. So dare to prepare uh, is understanding styles, which is the, the four different styles, thinker, socialiser, relater, director. Yes. They're our styles at Boom. Use those to tailor our information, the way we communicate to the customer. And then if you integrate understanding drivers and triggers and masterful questions, yeah. as we call them, <laughs> then, yeah, I'll tell you what, you're halfway there.
0: You, you spoke before about uh, the different roles that people will make, like the time waster, the golden time waster, those roles sometimes we have to start and and build a relationship with someone who we know is important yet we know that they aren't actually that decision maker role and and that's cool sometimes you know that's just the way it rolls but what's the best way to leverage up or engage with a decision maker in that type of situation is it how you act is it questions that you can ask what can you do
2: Firstly, kill the time wasters. Kill the time wasters <laughs> without mercy.
0: We'll edit okay, that so out. No, the no, ba-
2: okay, that, that's <laughs> a rule of the red phone: is to kill the kill the time wasters. Okay, and there is a golden time waster. I'll reveal that at the end. Yes, a dead list. Of okay. Deadly. Um, um, the second rule is to never cold call the decision maker. Okay. Okay, this is the first rule that we often uh, we think we need to go to the most senior person
0: because who's the
2: person in, in, in control they're going to be ultimately making the decision. but we know that they are typically not involved um, in the groundwork in the, the, the research. Um, they're not uh, they're generally being influenced by others. So we need to work our way through the arc, connect through the enabler, invest more in the person who is influencing the decision maker. Mm. Okay, we call that the critical influencer. Uh, and of course, then we we um have a greater chance of influencing the the decision maker. That's about that again comes back to the arc and having a strategy, okay. having a having a strategy. So ideally, the rules are you we need to identify and acknowledge the decision maker as quick as properly uh, as possible. We need to know who they are, and that's often a question that's not asked early in the sales process. Who's making the decision, or who will be making the decision? Uh, And who influences the decision-maker? They're two masterful questions. And what we often do is salespeople, inexperienced salespeople, will invest all their time in the enabler, the person who's simply going to take the proposal or the information to the influencer or the decision-maker, and they follow up the enabler, and they follow up the enabler, and they follow up the enabler, (laughs) three, six, 12 months, and they keep following up the enabler, waiting for a decision. And it's purely because they haven't asked the right questions and identified the right play and invested in the right play in their in their process.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh-
2: it is a science. Yeah, <laughs> it's a science, Daniel, and it, it this stuff works. And ideally, at the end of the day, the golden time waster is us. Oh, okay? because we are we are investing our time into the wrong areas and the wrong people and wasting our precious time. And we all know the average life expectancy of a Western male is 82 years up. So 82 years is all we have. So it's it's a precious time we don't have to waste. So uh, again, time-wasting
0: is the real enemy, not your competitors. So speaking of (laughs) time-wasting, what are some of the the telltale signs or, or language a prospect uses that makes it appear... That they're they're likely to proceed. They're going to say yes, but really they're just paying lip service to it. And in fact, they are not sure, but they don't want to tell you as such, or, or even that mm-hmm. it's going to be a no. But they just keep stringing you along because they maybe feel bad for you. Okay, gotcha.
2: The uh, here, the, I love it. Like, I do like when I say kill the time wasters, Daniel. Yes, I say that respectfully. Okay, so th- this means either deal with them quickly. Uh, feed them into and through your funnel into an automated process, perhaps, or send them to your competitors. Okay, either way they did. Okay, which means that you're freeing up your time to invest in the right people. In the thousands of salespeople that we work with, and every year we're working with hundreds and hundreds of salespeople, there are some telltale signs that uh, they share with us to to t- um to identify potential time wasters. Uh, and I've got some for you, pre prepared. Okay, good. Dare, yes. Dare to prepare.
0: You're like a TV okay. chef.
2: Dare to prepare. Yes. I've just whacked some, uh, some garlic prawns up for you. Uh, we've got the, uh, they're an enabler. Okay. So the enabler is an introducer and a referrer. Uh, but they don't influence the decision or make the decision. So they're not the influencer. Okay. They don't have the authority to make the decision. Uh, they're not credible. They don't ask good questions.
0: Mm, that's they don't
2: have. One. It is a very interesting one. They certainly don't ask masterful questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and that'll give me a sign if I'm pitching her in a boardroom, which we do a lot. Um, and I, I'm not really clear on the makeup of the room. There might be a CEO in there. There might be um, some really other some other se- senior people. Um, I'll generally gravitate towards the person who's asking. The best questions okay so that'll give me a sign of who's in who's the influencer because I would naturally gravitate to the CEO he or she and fire all my questions at that person thinking that they're the most senior so I should invest in them there might be someone else in the room so asking good quality questions masterful questions shows that they are credible okay and they're involved in influencing the outcome otherwise why would they be asking those questions okay so that is a telltale sign they don't have the money. The vision boarders, the dreamers, <laughs> they're, they're unprepared. So people that are unprepared okay, can often be time wasters. So we need this yesterday. Oh. Yeah, we've got $100,000. We want to get this done yesterday. Okay. Uh, you may be unprepared. Okay. So there's a telltale sign that you are potentially a time waster. So then that's when you work back through your, your process um, and work through your structure and your tools to make sure that you're not just simply being reactive and treating every customer, look, you have to, is the customer always right to the old uh, chestnut? The answer is yes, but their feelings are no, but their feelings matter. Uh, and do we create all customers? Are all customers created as equal? The answer, again, is no. Uh, we we'll also, also treat all of them with respect, but we need to understand who our customers are, kill the time wasting along the way so we can have the right customer, the right conversation with the right customer more often. Um, so there's some, some consistent ones, but the time wasters will be different for every industry. But there are some con- t- um, consistent themes that emerge, such as the ones I've just shared with you.
0: Mm, very interesting. So and We may have missed a few.
2: We may have missed a few, but there's they're sort of some key ones.
0: Okay, cool. So some people think that if it's going to be... <laughs> a no then it's always going to be a no and the quicker you can draw that out of for example maybe a time waster uh the better what's your opinion is is that a fair view or should you try and respectfully as you said before turn and try and turn a no into a yes if you think it is a really good fit and and they would get great benefit for it
2: well i wrote a blog recently called uh when well i won't share that one with you actually just now so it's basically about um Understanding traffic lights, okay, and and, and the buying signals, um, and it can often take if you're talking to the right customer, two no's to get a yes, okay, because usually an objection uh, may become in the form of a no, or it might be another way of them saying no, like I need to think about it, or it's too expensive, or I need to go to my business partner, or, I need to go and get some funding, or whatever the, whatever the uh, no uh, represents. So it's understanding the objection, having a tool to work through the objection. And then using various levers, uh, provided of course that you know that you that you're dealing with the right person, then you can invest more time in the negotiation process. And again, it comes back to that original um, question that um, I asked earlier in the interview, which is, are we negotiating? Okay. Mm. Um, and using using some tools to when you're at the critical stage of the conversation, if it's popping up early in the conversation, then perhaps you're you're putting yourself into the time-wasting category because you're not having again the right conversation with the right person uh, or you're simply not delivering the information that you need to in the right way so you're getting no's early on uh, and you're having a price-based conversation perhaps as well because you just don't have the confidence in what you're selling to be able to push through any potential objections
0: again i think i think my response to every answer you've given is "Hmm, very interesting because i'm sitting here nodding and even taking some notes myself uh you you've just done a pitch Everyone is happy and and nice, and it all feels like it's moving to the in the right direction. However, you know that they're not going to give you a yes right there and then. Um,
2: what is the <laughs> common theme? Yeah. Common theme through this, isn't it? This is the, must be the biggest frustration from the callers that have uh, sent their questions in. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think they're pretty good at researching. They're pretty good at getting in front of people. I think, you know, time wasters or not, whether they're qualified properly, I think most people are are, are reasonably good at at getting a conversation and a pitch in in front of people. But I think they kind of get – they get stuck at some elements where it's almost (coughs) like – the prospect almost wrestles the power of that po- of that process and procedure off the salesperson, and so, they take take control. Yeah, and and so yeah. uh, I think like the question was going to be, what are the best sort of next steps commitment that you can get? From the prospect and keep control of the situation, ultimately avoiding the, you, mm-hmm. you know, like people go back to their desk. They've done a great pitch. They've they've done the follow up email. You know, they think, oh well, I've waited a week. Maybe I should call them. Oh well, if I just wait until Monday afternoon, maybe they'll call me. Should I pick up the vo- pick up the the phone? There's that little voice in yep. your head, and and you suddenly yep. realise after that pitch, like it was all fantastic, but there's the, 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 that commitment about who's going to call who and what's going to happen next. Quite often, just disappears into the the euphoria of the back slapping and great pitch, and it's all very interesting and exciting. What can they do to keep the keep keep control of the situation?
2: Well, it's, I think from that it depends on the level of uh, capability of the salesperson. So, this um, in our work, what we do is we build sales capability frameworks for large organisations like Energy Australia, um, big big corporates that need structure and need to have a way of uh, creating pathways for de- developing salespeople. So, what, some of the things that we're talking about today, what I would categorize uh, sales, the salespeople's um, level of being at the foundational level. So, the, the next level is intermediate, then there's an advanced. So, for a salesperson at the foundational level, which is where a lot of these questions seem to be coming from, um, they sound like they're presenting information. Um, uh, that's That's a good thing because you're starting the funnel. What they will lack is confidence to be able to, again, do some of the things that we've talked about, which is um, we call this engaging with style, understanding adaptive communication, digging for drivers. Um, and if they're not digging for drivers and really understanding what's most important to the customer, they've got no way then of personalising or what we call sharing and personalising and making a recommendation that's relevant to the, to the drivers in the form of a solution, depending on what, whatever it is that they're selling. So when you're, when you're missing that, then where do you go when it comes to handling objections? And what's the real compelling reason the customer needs to act? So, again, you're on the what we call the white phone form of communication. So white is polite. It's ineffective. But what you're doing there is essentially then you're going into the follow-up loop. Um, and, you know, I just see this time and time again. Businesses we work with, salespeople have millions of dollars of opportunities in their sales pipe. You go into salesforce.com, have a look, $3 million in opportunities there some of the uh, customers haven't spoken to them for eight, 18 months oh. and they're just in this follow-up loop. So again, it's being able to have a clear outcome when you when you're pitching. What is the outcome you're trying to achieve and, and let them know that that's why you're there and make sure that you have the right players in that in that meeting and then the next steps tangible. And then and then if they're the right it is the right opportunity, then you need to have a structured follow-up process. Most salespeople uh, stop following up. It's an old uh, chestnut after two follow-ups. That could be phone, that could be um, email. In our experience, it can be five to eight plus follow-up calls, but most, 80 plus percent of salespeople stop after two follow-up calls. So they've done all the hard yards, got in the door, um, and then they have presented, and then they follow up twice, and then they wait for the customer to call back. Now, one of the reasons that salespeople don't ask, and this is part of the negotiation process, is because they don't want to ruin, um, ask for the business, that is, is they don't want to ruin their reputation. They've started from nothing. They've created the relationship from from scratch. They've spent most of their time building rapport. They don't want to ruin that now by now becoming a salesperson, which will mean they generally won't ask for the business and work through objections, and they also won't follow up after two follow-ups because they they fear, fear Mm. of being a salesperson, which is fascinating given that's what they're paid to do.
0: Again, I'm going to tr- –
2: Absolutely fascinating,
0: Daniel. Oh, I'm going to trot out my same response. Very interesting. <laughs> interesting. It's
2: a real science. So we've spent nearly 20 years and we've got so much insight, so much data, so much behavioural intelligence around how people um, uh, operate, the behaviours and, most importantly, what the best of the best do. So we're working with the best of the best in every industry. So we work with a real cross-section of organisations from Qantas to Toyota to Nav to AGL to Crown Casino. They're the market-leading organisations. And in all of our programs, let's say there's a few hundred salespeople in one organisation, there might be 10 that are elite. We learn from them. We understand what they do. They're always sharing sharing with us. So we're typically learning every every week that we're working of what the best of the best are doing so the things that we share and the things i'm sharing with you are what the best of the best do whether it's consciously or they actually really think about it and they're really structured this stuff works um but you've got to have tools and that's what the um you know the foundational level salespeople the less experienced ones don't they don't have confidence they don't have process and they don't have tools so that's the thing that they need to start building
0: mm. and all thing, all three things that need to work together i would imagine now um Discounts can be an effective sales tactic. Yet sometimes oh, 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 oh. We, well I, am I going out on a limb here? I, oh, let, oh, let me start oh. that question again. I'm I, I assume, was waiting for this one. I assume. I assume discounts can be an effective sales tactic. Yet sometimes we see salespeople, and I've had it happen to me all the time. Just give them away easily when it, when the prospect hasn't even asked for a discount. How can a salesperson if? discounts are the right way to go. I think we're about to find out. But how can a salesperson effectively use discounts without giving something away that they don't need to?
2: Well, firstly, firstly, (laughs) uh, this is for the the listeners. And I I should have acknowledged the listeners earlier, Daniel. My apologies. Hello, listeners. (laughs) Um, You are important. Um, Please write this down, listeners. Discount is the poor Salesperson's friend. Let's write that down. Put it somewhere on your desk.
0: (laughs) An inspirational (laughs) photo.
2: Discount is the poor salesman's friend. Now, you, Daniel, you live in Canberra. Correct. I can tell you now it gets very, very cold in Canberra dropping your DAX every day. (laughs) I would imagine. Yes. Yes or no?
0: Correct. Yes. Discount
2: is the poor salesman's friend. Of course, dropping your pants is the analogy for discount. Um, and, of course, it's easy to do. And most salespeople, the average, the average, quote, unquote, rely on it. And as a result, they are poor salespeople. Discount is the poor salesperson's friend. Now, discount only be used strategically and in conjunction with other techniques that we call TOM techniques, takeoff market techniques, trademarked, of course, everything I'm talking about, <laughs> um, TOM techniques, um, we use them strategically with other Tom techniques, which is uh, the old school um, concept of closing strategies um, is what we call Tom. And we have a new age suite of tools that we give salespeople to create leverage so they don't have to discount. Okay? But again, discount is one Tom technique of about seven. Um, and again, if we use it but don't abuse it, and it's easy to do, and I can tell you now, with the sales force, if a manager says to them, "Look, guys, you've got about, um, you can give about a 20% discount. Keep that up your sleeve, but don't, don't use it unless you really need to." Guess what all the salespeople do?
0: Oh, they're using it. Bang! They're leading with it.
2: Oh well, just wanted to give you a call. Just wanted to let you know go. we've got a 20% offer at the moment. Yeah, they just, they focus on it. They use it and they abuse it. And, Of course, enterprise comparison at your own risk. Uh, I personally, at Boom, we have a no discount policy. We don't need to discount. Because what we know, what we do, adds huge value. and That's the confidence that your salespeople need, need to take in. But you also need to be conscious of, uh, we call hunting and herding your competitors. Conscious of what others are doing in your market and make, making sure that um, what you are offering is genuinely valuable and tangible. Um, otherwise, you yeah, you may you, if what you're selling is more expensive than your competitors and if at not the same value, then of course you, um, you're going to be hurting the business. So Again, you've got to understand your market and your customers. Um, and, of course, um, you know, discounting for me is really a last resort. Hmm. Uh, if they can – people like value. So that may be a form of value, but it comes back to understanding your customer and what they value as it may not be discount.
0: mm-hmm Interesting yes, again. In. Interesting. Very good. Yeah. So, I, I mentioned your books uh, in the the intro before you joined us. You've mentioned uh, one uh, while we were we were chatting, but let's give the books a plug because. If they are full of the same type of advice as we've uh, you've given us today, um, then I think they will definitely be worth people uh, checking them out. First off, uh, what are the two books about? Apart from obviously sales, uh, how do they differ, and where can we where can we find out more about them and buy them?
2: Okay, so uh, first book is uh, that I wrote is called The Naked Salesman, um, and you can find that on Amazon. The Naked Salesman is really about walking the talk. Um, and selling your way to success Uh, a lot of that is about personal brand customer service overcoming challenges and adversity and building a reputation second book outlaw is about breaking rules and fighting for the customer and that's more strategic and it has a lot more strategic tools in it uh, as well and proactive tools some of the things that i've shared with you today engaging with style the red phone the arc all in the outlaw book as well so um, of course, uh, highly recommended reading. If any of the viewers would like to email me directly or email you directly, there, Daniel, I'm happy to send them out a special copy of The Naked
0: Salesman. Oh, Three. very kind, very kind. Always
2: well, be contributing.
0: That's it, and, and we'll put some we'll put some links in there, um, listeners. Absolutely. I think and check that's...
2: out our web, yeah, Facebook as well. Um, we post a lot of uh, content and insights and tips and things like that onto Facebook. So that's Facebook.com. Uh, forward slash boom sales
0: yep very good
2: uh, we're all over the place Instagram Twitter uh, LinkedIn as well um, so yeah feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn oh, oh, but, my, uh,
0: my next question was going to be uh, if people want to get in touch and all that sort of stuff you've already answered that for me so thank I you I sorry mate that, taking that, that's fine too much caffeine but we, we will make a note for our uh, two uh, head of territory uh, guys uh, Sam and Alex uh, please make a note to get in touch with uh, Trent about getting a copy of that book, um, Trent, cracking chat. Really enjoyed it. I've got a page full of notes here myself. I can't read my own handwriting, so um, I'll have to come back and, and listen to the podcast a couple of times. But just wanted to say uh, thank you very much, uh, Trent Lation, founder at Boom Sales. Thank you so much for taking us inside selling.
2: Thanks, Daniel. Speak soon.
0: I was excited to have Trent on the show because I had a. Uh, a great feeling that we get to hear some really practical and, and actionable sales advice, and he certainly didn't disappoint. Some fascinating insights and advice from Trent, and I wanted to just thank him once again for finding some time in his very busy schedule to spend a little bit of time with us and talk sales. As we covered off in the interview, you can find out more about Trent, Boom Sales, and his books at boomsales.com.au. And of course, all those links are in the show notes at Sponsorv.net under the resources tab. Thanks again to Daniel Ferguson-Hill for getting in contact and letting us know he enjoys the podcast. If you'd love a shout-out as well, then please get in contact and just say hi. We really do get our, uh, a big kick out of hearing from you guys. If you want to connect with me, then you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email at or or on Twitter using the handle at Sponserve. And of course, you can connect with Mark as usual, Mark Thompson on LinkedIn or email, uh, just use mark at Sponserve.net. And also, we've finally become one of the cool kids and joined Instagram. And you can follow us using the handle SPNSRV. If you haven't already, head along to iTunes and leave us a review. It makes us feel very special, uh, but more importantly, it helps others just like you find the show and learn from others in the industry. And that's what we're all about. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship.